welcome to Dog Logical. I'm your host, Renee Rhodes, the behavior and training specialist behind R Plus Dogs. Here at Dog Logical, I hope to make sense of your dog's behavior and give you insight that gives you the best relationship possible. If you'd like to know more about me or you're looking for your next dog professional to work with, you can find me at rplusdogs.com. And with that, let's get into the podcast. Hi, guys, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have Rachel from Dog at Heart with us. Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, my name is Rachel, and I'm a dog trainer with Dog at Heart, and I'm based in Liverpool, and I'm from Singapore originally, but now I'm based in the UK, and I do dog training for uh, family dogs, and um, my focus in my training is working on cooperative care and reactivity. Excellent. So how long have you been in the UK? So I've been in the UK um, on and off for a number of years now, and um, that's because I used to study in Liverpool um, for a completely different thing. And uh, and then because my partner lives here, so I've moved back and I've officially been back since March last year during okay. lockdown. So you're here like indefinitely, well, because Corona, but like, are you here indefinitely? Yes, yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm fully based here now. And uh, yeah, that's, that, this is kind of my home in Liverpool. Oh, nice. That's cool. So when did you, when did you actually get like the training bug? Like when was it, you know, it for you? Yeah, so, well, before becoming a trainer um I was actually a sound engineer full-time so that was kind of the what I was talking about you know where I studied in Liverpool was really doing sound engineering so it was so different from um training dogs and I actually never had a dog back then and um I always loved animals but you know I never had a dog um back then I had more like cats and and hamsters and that kind of thing so when I got the training bug was really when I started volunteering at a shelter in Singapore around uh, late 2016. And I volunteered there because my mom also volunteered at the shelter, but on the cat side of things. So she kind of told me that what she found out is that if there aren't enough volunteers to walk the dogs then the dogs don't get walked at all so that made me very sad so even though I wasn't a so-called dog person at that time I just wanted to help so as a volunteer I was really lucky and I got to learn about positive reinforcement and force-free training and handling methods that we use when walking the dogs you know how to put a harness on the dog without scaring them how to use treats, how to help a dog who might stall on their walks, how to keep a distance from other dogs, you know, when you're walking one that might be a little bit more fearful, a little bit more reactive. So that was kind of where, where I started with the whole training thing. So was that, I actually, um, I went to Thailand for a, it was like a work experience thing that I had to do for university. And um, it was actually, we called it volunteering, but we volunteered for, yeah. for a month in this um, Thai zoo. And I originally, I went back to university because I, <laughs> I wanted to work with any other animal but dogs. Um, I was like, oh, I'm going to deviate from dogs. And I came right back. So I don't know what I was thinking, but um that was part of my my initial kind of thinking is I wanted to go into enrichment for for zoo animals so finding this 
um, volunteer position in Thailand, we actually, part of it was, was taking care of the dogs that were on site. And so when, yeah. when we were doing that, it was, it was quite interesting because obviously in kind of, I'm, I'm from America and living in the UK, the way that we care for our dogs um, is, I suppose I could understand why people would say that it's spoiling, but the way that the dogs were kind of kept, they were treated very well, but the way that they were kept and the way that they were cared for was like nothing I had ever seen in Thailand. Um, yeah. So I didn't actually work with, I worked with, you know, like lions and, and jaguars and um, elephants and things like that. But caring for the dogs was a huge eye opener for me in that time. And also going outside of the, the kind of zoo camp and seeing the dogs just on the side of the road or, you know, in yeah. the villages and stuff. So how, how was that? Was that just kind of normal to you because of your, you know, your kind of where you've grown up and stuff like that? Or because you're talking about things that I would associate more with kind of Western-y cultures like harnesses and reactivity and stuff. So um, was it was it run by like, who was this this rescue run by? Yeah, so this rescue had a uh, had a consulting um, trainer who was a forestry trainer. Her name is Dr. Kang Ni, and she was the one who who kind of brought all this um, sort of positive training, uh, positive reinforcement training, forestry training to the shelter, and um, showed it to us volunteers, and and that's where it kind of started. But I also completely understand that um, it's not as common even though you know Singapore is quite a modern country um I would say that positive reinforcement training is only just starting to pick up a little bit so um the sort of more uh, more traditional type of training is is a little bit more common and we also like you say um have street dogs that that are just by the side of the road and and sometimes you leave them be so you know in our shelters it, instead of putting down a dog that might not be suitable for homes sometimes what they do is release them as strays after neutering them so so that they they're not going to breed and, and create more um strays but you know the population's controlled but then they also have that life of freedom being outside and um you know living by by the streets where they also still get fed by by kind people who who want to look after them but but sort of from that that perspective of just letting them be be you know the stray that they are it's really interesting as well because when i was in thailand the dogs had like now reflecting the dogs were never that i can recall on lead and they i don't even think they had collars or anything like that i mean the dogs would sleep with us in our rooms um yeah. but they were just kind of they were just kind of left to do their thing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so some of the dogs um, that some rescues would go out and, and feed and help with, that that's their life, you know, they, they kind of, you know, live, live out by their own. And it's interesting to think about, you know, things about choice and, and um, welfare. And it's like, you know, maybe they don't get cared for as much in terms of their health or, you know, things like that. But 
but then they're also quite free and they don't have this confinement, you know, they're doing their own thing. And if, if they can be fed regularly, if they can get fresh water, have a bit of shelter, um, sometimes they seem quite happy and, and they, they do look all right when I, whenever I pass them. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. No, I, I can't recall really any, I think there was one scrap, I think once um, between, I think there were probably about six, six or seven dogs in our, in our camp. And to be honest, the only threat to them were, I mean, we had scorpions and stuff like that there, but the mm. only threat to them was um, the roads. So not yeah. far from yeah. the camp was, um, I wouldn't say a super busy road, but the the kind of I would say the traffic um in Thailand is very sporadic like no one there's yeah. a road there but you know there's not really any um people kind of drive wherever they want um and that was the only real real threat to the dogs at our camp was keeping them away from the road but there was no yeah. There was no management in place so like if the dogs did decide to go near the road and somebody didn't see them i mean when i was there there was a dog that was um unfortunately killed but to me it was shocking because it was like what happened and they were like oh the dog went into into the road and it's like why have we not yeah. done something about this like what do you mean the dog just yeah. went the road? <laughs> i think yeah it, it, like the sorry go on Oh, no, sorry. Um, that for me was the hardest thing to kind of because I it, to me it just seems common sense. And again, it's something I think, you know, like I take take for granted. Um, you're kind of growing up in like the US and, and living in the UK is just like, why is there no why is there no fence? Like, what do you mean? Completely. I completely understand. And and I mean, more, uh, more and more people in, in Singapore as well are having um, dogs as pets. So so that idea of, you know, not just letting them go downstairs by themselves and 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 do their own thing that's that's catching on so so just kind of you know having a dog as a pet that you walk on leash on a harness whatever you know that kind of thing that's that's obviously a, a lot more now rather than just having them as strays but strays still exist and and um you know the, the dogs that don't integrate maybe as well as quickly into a family home that can be a decent option for them if they have a safe place and and, and people that know that they are there and can look after them um, from time to time but yeah it's it's a little bit of a cultural um difference because i never see any strays in in the uk ever <laughs> but yeah no and I, I mean what are your kind of i'm kind of putting you on the spot here but um what are your thoughts about you know the rescues that we're bringing over from places like croatia and romania and stuff because i'm just thinking now about you know the, when we're talking about the dogs these kind of free range dogs in in the two areas of singapore and, and thailand like those dogs they they have so much freedom and yes that comes with some consequences which can be you know detrimental or, or you know life ending but how do you feel in the parallels between the the dogs that because it's a huge surge in in the UK right this whole bringing mm -hmm. over these foreign dogs and I know I personally have seen a lot of them I would say a huge amount of dogs that yeah. I come in contact with professionally um, are these foreign rescue dogs how do you feel what are your kind of thoughts on on those in in parallel to to the dogs that you've experienced? So I think that 
if these dogs um, uh, from these foreign rescues, if say they've had, you know, some some assessment that that they are that they can be managed by by people and, and things like that, and uh, if they if they are also living in danger where they are, then I think it's okay to have these rescues um, bring them over and 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 see whether they can have a better life here, especially if the quality of life there isn't as as good, you know, even though they have that freedom, but is anyone sort of looking after their health? Are they being, is the population being managed? Are they starving? You know, things like that. But I, I can't say that I've looked into it enough to know the facts about that and, and what and how their life is there. But that's how I feel about, um, you know, general strays and things like that. If, if the quality of life is really poor where they are, then if we can bring them in and, and look after them and really work with them, that can help as well. I have worked with a couple of um, Romanian rescues and they, they, they can sometimes be really fearful of the world. It's a really big change. And, um, you know, even the journey from, from, from where they were to come into the UK, whether that's by a van or, or by flight, that can be quite traumatic as well. But, um, you know, if they have the right home that, that understands how to kind of go at their pace and manage them, they, they can be wonderful dogs to have. And um, I've seen I've seen lots of people with with the Romanian rescues who are just having a great time. And and, and I think it, it wouldn't be right to sort of cut them out altogether. Um, but yes, yeah, so there's quite a lot to think about there, I think. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it sometimes depends on the age of the dog. So I've encountered yeah. dogs where they brought over um, older dogs and tried to fit them into a home. Um, and you just think, you know, how difficult are we making this for this dog? Some dogs would take, you know, it'd be like, oh, the cat that got the cream. Like they would just be like, yes, yeah. thank you. And then other yeah. dogs I've, I've encountered where they really, they really struggle. And it's an ethical issue of like, you know, kind of what have we, what have we done yeah. with this dog where we're trying to fit, you know, like a, a square peg in a round hole and you're just trying to make the, the best out of the situation. So, I mean, I personally, am kind of, I'm all, I always struggle with it. Like I'm in two minds. I have, I have volunteered for, um, for foreign rescues and while I've been in the UK and, I've always felt, oh, like, you know, some dogs, seeing some dogs really mm -hmm. make it and they're great. And I think a, mar a majority yeah. of them do, but you still have those kind of outliers who really struggle and it, it affects my, my kind of viewpoint on it where I'm, I, <laughs> I have like yeah. a moral, you know, dilemma and I'm like, what are we doing? Should we be doing this? And like you said, when they come over the journey, a lot of them come over and they, they are fearful. Um, and I find, I don't know about you, but I do find that a lot of them have fears of um, getting into cars and also into yeah. small spaces. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That, that's something that I've seen. Yeah. I'm yeah. And, and also kind of like our traffic um, uh, things like that, you know, noises like that, uh, I realize quite uh, spooks them quite a bit. So going on walks can sometimes be really difficult. But yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I completely concur. It's, it's kind of one of those things where and I, th I think as well, when they come over, it's or they're estimating their ages, they tend to be around that, yeah. 
that four month kind of mark. I send, I've seen yeah. a lot of puppies come over and they're like, they're four months. <laughs> like, are you sure? Like, how do we actually yeah. really know? But that seems, you know, that is a very, as you know, it's a really um, sensitive time for puppies and to have to go through not only leaving everything that you know, but then the journey. And then when they come into the UK, they have to be, um, they have to stay in kind of quarantine for a few days and then they can potentially go to to their new home. So it's a lot of transitioning in a short period of time. So it's, com- yeah. I mean, it's completely understandable to me why why these dogs do sometimes have these behavior concerns. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, along with the journey, it's like, there's no one that they know that's with them which I think can be quite challenging as well you know they haven't got some if they're meeting someone um the new adopter that's probably the first time they've meet them quite often uh, rather than you know be the person going to the shelter to get them because if they came from a foreign country then they're less likely to see them things like that and I think that can be quite challenging yeah I I agree um so speaking of of foreign dogs do you want to tell us a little bit about your <laughs> your namesake Dave? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Dave was in the shelter for seven years in Singapore. So before that, he might have been a street dog. I can't say for sure. Um, but he was two um, when he entered the shelter. So um, the different stories about it. Someone said he was lying on the road. Um, someone said he uh, might have been in a car accident, that kind of stuff. But um, we, we, I can't say for sure what, what happened to him before that. But he's in the shelter for seven years. And I can't say, you know, as well why he was there for so long. He's so handsome. Uh, <laughs> but I will say that he takes some time to warm up to people. So you know, if there were visitors at the shelter, he'd just kind of lie in the kennel. He wouldn't look at them. He's, you know, not like some other dogs who might jump up and say hello. He's just sort of flat and lying down most of the time during visiting hours. So, I mean, it, it took a while for me to bond with him myself. And because um, I was a volunteer there, I, I went down to see him like every uh, every weekend and even some public holidays as well I'd go down and and work with him as well as some of the other dogs and and I just really fell in love with him and uh, you know when he was at the shelter he was labeled quite reactive towards other dogs so when other dogs went past his kennel he would spin and bark and bang himself against the kennel doors and even damaged one of the kennel doors one time and and when he was out on walks he'd also lunge and growl at other dogs but with also his in-kennel reactivity at the time he caused a few dogs to be scared of going out for their walks because they had to go past him so that was kind of how bad it was at the time so you know before I uh, worked with him at the shelter he also had another volunteer who was working with him who was great with him and introduced him to clicker training and things like that and then I started working with him and we did some of the counter conditioning to other dogs as as much as possible and you know that can be quite hard to do in the shelter and sometimes I did some muzzle training with him and of course I had to do the crate training to get him to uh, fly to the UK and that was of course a big deal <laughs> for him mm. um but he he managed that really well. So you know, you were talking about flights before. Um, it, it's it's so difficult because you can't train the whole thing. Um, you know, you can't train that experience of 
flying on a plane. So the best that I could do was was have some level of crate training done with him, especially because I was taking him from shelter to the UK. So it's a huge huge step and I, I I wasn't able to bring him home to do that kind of thing so I was really going down almost every day to do that crate training with him and um and doing that sort of me stepping away from him so that he's used to being in a crate alone for a period of time and um but but the thing that I thought is different in in my situation is that when he arrived I was there and you know I'm someone that he has bonded with while in the shelter he knows me so I think that kind of helped um but when he did arrive uh, for two weeks he wasn't eating very well and he didn't really want to go on very long walks you know as understandable might have been a little bit of jet lag might have been a little bit of discomfort and things like that but then he started to warm up and and, and that was really good um to to see that and and now he's a really good dog <laughs> so did you know him for those seven years yeah, I knew him um, since I started volunteering in, in late 2016. So uh, I, did, I didn't know him for the whole seven years that he was there. Um, so it was probably about three years that I know I knew him. But obviously there are other volunteers who have been there a lot longer than me. And they tell me things about him, like, you know, how he had heartworm before and um, he was isolated. And that's when he became quite reactive and, and really quite challenging because nobody walked him and, you know, things like that. So I get little bits of stories about his past. But but I really only got to know him um, maybe about two or three years um, before I before I adopted him. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So what, what what was the kind of, what prevented you from bringing him home before that time? Uh, well, because I was living with my mom when I was in Singapore, um, my mom and my grandma, and, and we have cats. And mm. so the, the cats are the babies. Uh, and it, it, my mom just said it wouldn't be fair on them. And I agreed. And, you know, flats in Singapore, particularly the one that I lived in, are really, really small we don't really have a lot of space and um, it's a high high rise kind of flat and you know it, it, it's quite difficult so I, I never got to bring him home and to be honest my decision to, to take him to the UK was fairly last minute I before I, <laughs> I decided on this um, a month before flying off um, because it, what happened was that I, I was I just suddenly got really worried I was worried that whoever would adopt him you wouldn't use positive reinforcement training methods with him and I didn't want to spend my whole life worrying about him thinking oh no what happened to him what who's with Dave now what happened and you know kind of regretting not taking him so I convinced my partner that we'll take him and spend lots and lots of my money just to fly him um, from the shelter to the UK and I, I, I know people like think god that's that's a lot to spend on a rescue dog um you know, because the flight itself was was a few thousand pounds, and um, you know, can kind of take him here. People spend that kind of money on on puppies, not on a yeah. nine year old rescue. You know, <laughs> but but it's love. I love him, and and my partner loves him now as well. So so that's perfect. But equally, those who who immigrate, you know, I know a lot of um, a lot of my friends are. <laughs> especially in the UK, almost all of my friends are foreign. And if they have dogs or, you know, family dogs or things like that, they've, they've brought them with them. And that is, 
he was, I, I assume, essentially based on what you said, is that at that point he was already he was already yours. So bringing him over, even if he was straight from the rescue, I mean, he's he's your Dave. So why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the reason why he was so my dog as well is because uh, when I was a volunteer, um, I was a dog walker to begin with. And after a couple of months, I was asked to join this dog mentor program. So, you know, the trainer that I mentioned, um, she, she started this program. So what we did in this program is we had a few dogs that we, we selected to be kind of like as if they were our dogs. So we'd work with them really closely. So we do some training, we do enrichment, we spend time with them and we'd even help out with the adoption process sometimes. So right away when when I got on this I was like oh I want Dave as my dog mentee thank you <laughs> and, and there were a few others as well but you know so so I I already had that kind of inclination to kind of work with him quite closely and 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 being on this mentor program got me to do that and um and so really get to know him better and because like I said before he he's not like a dog that will be all over you you know be really excited to see you um, it takes some time to kind of get him to warm up. So, so eventually I built that bond with him, but yeah, yeah, I love it. So I might have, maybe I've gotten this wrong because from, you know, I'm, I'm a recent kind of, I'd say that I probably, maybe it's been a year, I would say, um, that I've kind of been, been following you. I'm, I'm relatively, I ha I've had Instagram for a while, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't a kind of, it wasn't important to me basically um, <laughs> and so I've really been kind of focusing it more um in the last like six months and stuff but I I can remember seeing some stuff with with Dave um who we will put Dave's Instagram handle in the in the podcast notes um and your um dog at heart on the podcast notes as well but following Dave and stuff I so I I suppose I just assumed that you were a guardian who had then taken that leap to become a dog professional. But have you, how long have you been doing the, the kind of professional training? So the professional training um, came almost sort of simultaneously with, with Dave. So what happened was um, I, I one day just decided um, that, you know, with the amount of time that I'm spending in the shelter, I realized that that's, more what I wanted to do so you know um, working with dogs was was really becoming something that I was more passionate about especially also advocating for for dogs and 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 you know doing training and things like that so one day I just decided I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go to Victoria Stillwell Academy um, which was in the UK so so I did that and I I took Dave at the same time to go and do that so 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 it's kind of all together um with Dave um so he he became my training partner for the course which was perfect and you know I learned so much having him but but yeah so he wasn't sort of my dog way beforehand he was sort of he, he's my dog as I'm getting on this training journey if that makes sense yeah like you're you're doing it together yeah, exactly. Exactly. He was the catalyst, but also your partner. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I wouldn't be here without him, I think. Yeah. I think we all kind of have that that dog that 
for me, it was working a veterinary, like it was lots of dogs, but <laughs> I think a lot of us have yeah. um, that dog that's kind of spurred our, our interest or, you know, by means of needing to train the dog or other kind of maybe behavioral concerns that we had with our dogs. And there's always been that kind of moment that you think, you know, this is actually I either need to do this or this is actually quite fun. So you had you had kind of both of those. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, my old job as a sound engineer, you know, working on commercials, videos and, and kind of video games and stuff. Some people will call that, you know, really fun and really quite niche as well. And then I, I switched jobs completely to do something really niche as well. So so that's kind of what I'm like. And um, but yeah. Yeah. So so it's, really, it's been really good having having Dave alongside me as I'm learning and as I'm going through this and, and becoming a professional. So what was your, you mentioned about advocacy, but what was your kind of goal thinking going into more professional training? What, what did you want to add to the industry? Yeah, so, you know, with Dog at Heart, the business, I, I really wanted to, you know, be able to show people that there are better kind of ways to train and also live and interact with our dogs and um particularly because I come from this shelter background to be able to, you know, work with more challenging dogs with, with who have been in the shelter for years and years, like Dave, there are others who have been there since they were a puppy and now they're almost a senior and um, they come with uh, lots and lots of issues sometimes. And, and the fact that we can still work with them using positive reinforcement methods has made that um, really important to me so knowing that there are better kind of ways to train so I, I also feel like for anyone out there looking for information on dog training can be really quite overwhelming trying to go through all of this conflicting information on the internet and um, I've had people tell me they wish that someone told them in advance you know when they got a dog that things like cooperative care was a thing um, because people don't always know about stuff like that. So it made me want to be able to show them that all these things exist, all these ethical ways, ways to do things um, with our dogs exist. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I completely, I completely appreciate that, that message getting out there. And I think the more professionals we have that are trying to get that message out there, the, the better. Um, so do you never you've never used any kind of because some people are like a crossover trainer where they've had maybe misinformation but it sounds like from the start you really had a good kind of foundation for learning about positive reinforcement with your mentorship and working at that that shelter um and it's good I suppose that you yeah. not had to kind of make that that ethical leap of going from maybe not so great um you know methodology into a, a more positive methodology yeah i think it's really interesting because you know when i first learned about all this positive reinforcement training while i was a dog walker which is really my first sort of step into the dog world um it's really odd because even though i didn't have experience with dogs before somehow in my mind i had this skepticism of like, you know, how, oh, well, how can that work? Don't we have to punish things that we don't want? You know, or, you know, with dogs who don't like other dogs, don't we have to make them go out there and socialize and meet other dogs? Otherwise they'll never learn. You know, 
looking at back at it now, it's funny that without knowing anything about dogs, those ideas of um, sort of coercion and punishment were in the back of my mind. And I think maybe that goes to show how per pervasive um, punishment culture is in our society and in our world. But for me, I just, you know, I stuck with it. I, I stuck with the positive reinforcement training, used the treats while I was walking the dogs. And then I started to really see how it helps the dogs, particularly those who had more challenging issues and, and you know, weren't as affiliated to kind of see it change in them and through the way I was interacting with them made me really realize that this stuff works. And, and so I just kept on learning and, and the more I learn, the more exciting it gets for me and I love it, so. Yeah, I definitely feel that, you know, positive reinforcement kind of, it's cyclic. So it goes into more positive reinforcement because you see, the effect that it's having on the learner, which, you know, in this case is, is our dogs. And once you get, or I feel like you, once you get into that, that cycle of positive reinforcement, it, it perpetuates, it perpetuates you going forward because you're like, Oh, that was quick. Oh, you're, you're doing that. Like, um, the dog, <laughs> the dogs always respond better. I mean, a lot of times what I get with, with clients is, they're, you know, oh, she's so happy to see you, or she wouldn't do that for me, or, you know, it's like, and I always say it's positive reinforcement, like, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think uh, there were some misconceptions uh, that, you know, it will take a really long time using positive reinforcement, using force retraining, and I get that, you know, with some issues, yeah, it's going to take time, and you're going to have to work on it, and sometimes it might take a year, you know, there are things like that, but at the same time, if you're doing it well, there are some things that can change quite quickly as well, um, because it's not just about, you know, us throwing treats at the dog, it, it, there's a lot more to it, and if we do it correctly, um, it often, the, the results often show themselves quite quickly as well, so sometimes you see, like, a dog who reacts really badly another dog at this distance when we do some of that training the next time you know in the shelter environment the next time that dog sees that dog at a slightly closer distance he seems a little bit better so we can actually see that um happening and, and like you say it's really reinforcing for us because it works so we're going to keep doing it yeah, and I mean, when we look at even our own behavior, who there's so many like New Year's resolutions that are broken or, you know, gym memberships that aren't used. Like it's just it's a very it's a very common thing to see that even our our own behavior, it takes dedication, it takes time, it takes commitment. You know, if if you're going to expect that from your dog, then you need to expect that from every single person in your life. And, you know, we, we can't even expect that from ourselves. So how could you expect your dog to respond in, you know, I often like to think like if somebody's maybe worked with a trainer, one or two sessions, they haven't really worked with that trainer because it, especially for, you know, serious behavior concerns, because unless the yeah. trainer is, using methods which compromise the dog and you know even still we're getting we're getting very quick um uh, i don't want to say turnaround but we're getting a very quick response with that dog um that raises a little bit of a red flag to me so a little bit that raises like a giant red flag to me um, <laughs> but 
but when we're working, when somebody says like, oh, I work with a professional and like I saw them once or twice and it didn't work for me or, you know, whatever it's like, but you haven't actually, you know, there might be, there will always be improvement. I think when you're working with a, a positive trainer, but you haven't actually given that enough time. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that you have to really stick with. And, and that's why for me and, and for my clients, the, the main thing that I really focus on is having them also show me what they're doing um, in the weeks that we don't meet um, between our sessions. So they can actually show me what they're doing and then I can comment on it so that I can see what where they are at and then I can help them through that and we can go to the next step if they're ready or I can tweak it for them. So I think things like that are really important so that you know that people are working on it and 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 that they're committed to it. And, and I think that's been really helpful. Yeah, I mean, when I worked in veterinary, they used to kind of, and there's still all of these, these kind of memes or things like that, that say, you know, all the things that a, a vet tech is, and it's like, you're a doctor, you're a counselor, you're a phlebotomist, you're, and it, I think it's very similar for dog professionals, because you are, you know, you're the teacher, you're the kind of coach, you're the... <laughs> You're the educator, you're all these kind of the counselor, you know, there's so many hats to wear. And um, it is, as you were saying, like setting setting goals for your, both your human clients and your, your, your kind of dog clients together as a team is a really yeah. important aspect to just keep, and people can choose at the end of the day, you know, if you set them a little bit of homework and they choose not to do that, or if life gets in the way, which, you know, it, it does sometimes, but that's a decision that, that they make, like you've done your part to kind of help them along in the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the more I work with people and talk to people, I can really empathize, you know, with their struggles when it comes to dogs. And it can be quite daunting and, you know, feeling that shame because other people are looking funny at their dog, lunging and barking on leash when actually the dog's really lovely and sweet at home, you know, things like that, you know, feeling judgment from other people saying you you shouldn't let your dog do this, you shouldn't let your dog be on the bed or, or you know, things like that. And there's just so many weird feelings and unnecessary shame and guilt. And so for me, like, I really want to connect with people and support them from there. And uh, I think something that you posted once really resonated with me was that, you know, you meet people where they are and then elevate them. So that's something that I really like doing with people. And, um, when we give them, you know, small steps and 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 make it doable for people, I think they, they do, you know, put in the work and, and really learn to work with their dogs and enjoy their dogs in the process. Yeah, that post was, um, it had sparred from something that I had seen uh, on Facebook and I kind of spiraled into, <laughs> it was a, I think a video or, or some kind of announcement somebody was making um, where it said that, you needed to meet clients, the, the message was meet clients where they are, meet clients where they are, because they're going to go somewhere else. And every part, like every molecule, every like bit of me was like, no, like, no, I'm not, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. I do not feel comfortable with, you know, if a client wants to work on a prong collar, I feel like it's, they have hired me to give them the best information and my expertise and my guidance and the information that's inside my head and, you know, all the research, they're hiring me because of the, you know, the work that I do. So it feels very foreign to be like, 
sure, you want to use this prong collar? Let me show you how to use it so that, you know, you, you don't have to correct your dog. It's like, but I don't want to normalize that 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 tool is should be connected with dogs yeah. at all. Like, I don't want that yeah. to be the person just going, oh, yeah, yeah, I worked with Renee and, you know, she showed me how to use the, the prong collar. And I'm like, no, like that's, I don't, I don't want Renee <laughs> and prong collar to be like, <laughs> or any of her, unless it's like Renee abolishes prong collars, then like, you know, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> put that in the headline. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll get a screenwriter <laughs> for that one. But that kind of that kind of message was so um, revolting to me that I just thought, no. And I actually did comment on that person's, and they were a person in the, in the dog kind of industry. Um, I did comment and I said, you know, this is, this is not what a dog professional should be doing. Like we should not be doing that. That is you know, and if, if my client does go to someone else, you know, hopefully I can, I don't want to say convince because convince is like, I'm trying to swindle somebody, but if I can educate someone on the, that tool that they want to use and educate them to the point where they go, why did I ever want to use that? Like, oh God, you know, throw this, I've had clients, you know, um, and these are virtual clients as well, like clients in America and stuff who have said to me, I remember one was the one of the first ones I did, and they had used um, they'd used an e collar and a prong collar in two different two different scenarios, um, and they actually had the uh, the e collar on the dog at the time, and I had explained to them you know how the e collar works, um, and this was actually unfortunately a, a, a shock feature that had been used, um, but I explained to them how it works and you know what what it was doing, the learned helplessness, and, you know, they were having issues, and it was actually recall was one of the issues, and I was saying to them, like, you know, if, (laughs) if, you know, that being out with you, and you're calling your dog, and your dog doesn't respond, and then there's a shock, like, that association between the two, why do you think that the dog would then want to respond to that recall like that connection between calling the dog and then immediately like if the dog doesn't respond it's it you know that for your relationship even though you're so far away from from the dog there's still potentially that connection between the two hearing your you know your dog hearing your voice and then and then that and and also explaining other factors because there were other issues um with that case in particular and um, there was kind of this nuffle, like ruffly sound and stuff. And um, I kind of paused thinking like, oh, have I upset her? Because that's, you know, when people hear these, these, uh, when people hear the information about what these tools can do to their dogs, yeah. I think um, it, it's a hard kind of pill to swallow. So I thought, oh, have I, <laughs> have I upset yeah. her? Um, and she just I heard like a bunch of noise and stuff. And she said, I've just thrown the, the like e-collar away. And I was like, wow. Okay. And she was like, I will never be using that again on her. And that to me just like was, you know, like rockets. But, and I just thought, wow, wow. Okay. Yes. Like I am incredibly proud of, of you at this moment, but 
so no, I would never want my, my long story short, I would never want my clients. I don't want to meet my clients where they are. That's not the point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they, they pay us, you know, I mean, they're paying us to, to teach them. Right. So it's not ethical to kind of be like, oh, well, if you want to use it, that's fine. No, we've got to show them because all of these things, you know, using a prong collar, using an e-collar, uh, regardless of what we're working on, if they have those it's going to affect the rest of our training as well because there's something going on in the relationship and there's something um, that might stress the dog uh, that is unnecessary that it doesn't need to be there and that makes the other training harder that's how i feel yeah i mean i even there was a post that i did not too long ago and it had a picture of a dog in an e-collar and i debated whether to even put that post up because i i'm very much in the in the mind of not normal sizing normal sizing normalizing that's the word um <laughs> not normalizing um seeing these tools and i thought okay should i should i post this should i not post it um but that's another thing i think it was zazie todd who had said um like she doesn't use certain words because when we use those words we present them into the conversation so like Sometimes ignoring these these words that we, you know, like alpha and dominant and stuff like that, when we take them out of the vocabulary and we replace them, similar to like cue and command, um, I think yeah. when we have guardian and owner and stuff like that, like when we start to, that's a language that I have, have started to transition to about two years ago. Because I think before I was saying something like parent or, you know, I still say humans. I do like humans because it. <laughs> I do say humans. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I love using humans. I don't know why. It just, it's kind of like a weird, like, that's my human. Um, but not using that language and not, um, you know, not normal normalizing um, those tools, I think, are, are really important. But. Yeah, I, I completely, I, I think my posts sometimes just come out of thin air and then sometimes they just come from things that clients have said or things that I've seen like yeah. people saying online. And it's like, you, you know, sometimes you can, you can pick your moments and present information to people. Um, and a lot of times I've learned, especially on social media, it's best to just let that fire burn out itself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't engage if, if, you know, people um, say anything sort of, they, they're trying to push the point about, you know, using such and such tool is great. You know, I just kind of don't get involved and, and just delete because it's it's my platform. And if I, I don't allow that uh, sort of promotion of these sort of tools, I don't want it to be normalized. So that's, that's what I do. Um, and do you get a lot of, because I don't seem to get a lot of, I'm trying to remember if I have any, I have had a lot on Facebook. I have had to, I have had to learn the art of um, deleting and blocking. That is a beautiful, beautiful art. And I practice yep. it often. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I didn't exactly. used to, I used to take the bait, but now I'm like, delete and block. Um <laughs> But do you get, because I don't think I get that on Instagram at all, really. I get them from time to time. And um, it, it's really interesting how people kind of interpret what you say. And um, 
uh, and then you know make it into their own to say that oh why why have you said that hand feeding is bad you know even though I've never actually said that and and it, it's really interesting because that's the that's some of the things that I get when people are, are trying to say that I'm wrong or, or you know that that I'm 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 not saying this with any sort of facts behind it, even though clearly there are, and I do say that there are, and you know, obviously you can look into all the studies on, on forced retraining and positive reinforcement and, and kind of the harm uh, the damage that, that aversive tools can cost. And yeah, that, oh God, I'm, I'm all over the place that aversive <laughs> tools can create, but you know, uh, uh, you'll get people that, that do that. And um, for me, like you say, delete and block, has been the easiest way because I don't want to give that attention to to those sort of comments and it's not their platform it's my platform my platform is here to educate people on force retraining on positive reinforcement training it's not a place to sit to to argue about whether or not using a slip leash all the time is good or not you know um that that's how I stand and I know I understand you know back in the day I might argue with, with people you know try to not really argue but trying to you know prove my point a little bit you know going to um citing studies and things like that but you start to realize that people aren't here to actually learn about it they, they're here to just make their own point and so i i find it quite unnecessary and i i delete and block and it it, it gets quite wild sometimes when when you do do that and then they make another account they use another account to come and comment the same thing again or say why have you blocked me you know it, it gets quite um wild in that that sense but <laughs> i don't get it often i must say but from time to time it does happen so so yeah delete and block that's the easiest way for me and and i'll just continue you know saying what I want to say on, on my platform to people who want to listen to people who are ready to make that change or, you know, are interested in learning more. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, the stuff that's happened, it happened quite early on for me um, was when I started posting, I think one of the first ones was um, a, a slip lead and it said something like, this is not a tool for training your dog. And yeah. so people just just went crazy um and i think it's what is it the straw man fallacy where people kind of poke holes in your what you're trying to present and so things yeah. were like you know do you not believe that uh slip leads cannot be used for veterinary and for rescue rescue was the biggest one people were just all over that saying like this isn't true and it's like but you haven't read you know and it's very yeah. simple it's a very simple meme it literally said Slip leads, this tool is not used for training your dog. Did not say anything yep. about veterinary, did not say anything about rescue. It said training your dog. And I actually had people um, who in the comments said, but do you use it for training? But do you use it for training? But is it used <laughs> in training? And I'm like, it's a very simple meme, people. Like if you're trying to extrapolate something different from it, that's not what I've said. Um, but one of the first kind of, when that kind of came out, I think there was, that was kind of my taste of it. And this was going back a few years. Um, and I literally, I remember being up until like two, I'm not a night person. I remember being up until like 2.30 in the morning, checking these messages and being like, responding to this one person in particular, trying to convince them of my standpoint. And it was like, 
they would say something positive and then they would actually like be like, oh, but how do you feel about this? Because that isn't right, blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, oh my God, this is so stressful. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know how to do these posts anymore. Um, and it was actually my boyfriend, Scott, I think when I was when I was speaking to him the next day and I said, oh, it's so stressful. Like, I don't know what to do. And he was like, just block and delete them. Like, why are you even arguing with these he said idiots, but you know, um, <laughs> those are his words, not mine. Um, why are you arguing with these people? And I just thought, why am I arguing? I think I thought that I could change their mind, but clearly this person never had the intention of learning anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was my first little taster. And then after that, I was like, I'm a quick learner. I will not be engaging. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, exactly. You've got better things to do. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm, perfectly I mean I will if somebody really wants to know like if I feel like they're actually asking a genuine question about stuff yeah. I will happily explain it and I will I will take the time and make sure that they that they do understand but if I get a hint of you know that there's and you can always tell I think after one or two you know kind of exchanges it's very easy yeah. to tell if that person is is actually looking for valid information or if they're just looking to to kind of poke holes and and rile things up but oh yeah the social media is a it's it can be a blessing and it can be a curse <laughs> absolutely and and some and sometimes what I think is that you know if if the people who didn't like our post felt so strongly on their end, there were also other people on our side who felt really strongly about it and it really resonated with them and maybe it really changed what they did. And, and I think that's what kind of makes it more meaningful um, because you are going to be able to speak with people that, that really felt what you said and they're like, oh, so you mean my dog can sleep on a bed and it's fine? And like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and you know things like that and, and you, you get people who do that and they're like oh thank you so much you know so that's that for me is what makes the social media part really worthwhile is that you know you, you do help make people feel a little bit better and um, be able to bring that sort of information to them to the ones who are ready to listen you know oh absolutely I love those messages like I, I love I can't even describe how much I love them like especially on days where I've been feeling overwhelmed or really, you know, stressed or on, on breaking point. And then I get a message from someone and they say, you know, something similar to that, or like, I just really love your content or, you know, that, that meme that you did the other day, like that really resonated with it, something like that. I mean, I don't think people, I don't think people understand um, how, I wouldn't say important, but how um, important, how important those messages are. I was trying to think of another way to, to kind of explain that, but it it is important. But at the same time, it's, um, it's really reinforcing. Like it really, yeah. it puts like a little pep in my step. And sometimes that pep is, is not so little. Sometimes I'm like, yeah wow like I got one the other day and I can't remember what it was I did share it on my stories um where someone had said I think something like your content is really amazing and it's really helped me and you know um it's really helped the relationship that I have with my dog and stuff and I just thought oh you know that's such a thank you for taking time out of your day 
to write yeah. me that. Like, I know it takes a few seconds, but at the same time, you could have, you could have kept scrolling. Like it's such a nice reinforcement factor for me because yes, I have clients and yes, they pay me and yes, they, they leave nice reviews and they, you know, boost me on social media and all that other kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like it's, it's nice to know that that effect goes further than that, that there is a reason yeah. for doing, <laughs> for doing the posts and for, you know, kind of, cause I mean, creating stuff is fun, but at the same time, it's like, what kind of post am I going to put now? <laughs> like, what am I going to, yeah. it can <laughs> be quite daunting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you, if you get worried about, you know, people who don't like it and, and this and that, then, then um, the people who really are waiting to hear your message, they miss out. So that's why I, I still do the posts and, and, and I'll talk openly and, and I'll be, you know, empathetic to what people are going through because there are people who want to hear it and they need to hear it, you know. Absolutely. And your posts are beautiful, by the way. I, I don't think I've told you that before, but they are really, really well put together. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I do love, I do love aesthetically pleasing things, but also I think that what you were just saying about, you know, people posting things and, and stuff like not having the confidence I've seen, I've seen posts. I can't remember who it is at the moment, but they just, it's like a green background and they just have writing on it. Like there's no pictures, there's no, you know, fancy stuff. It's just literally that's their, their meme. And that's how they present the information. So I would encourage anyone who is maybe listening that, you know what, if you're kind of, if you're not, um, because I have, I have a history in art. So for me, it's kind of like fun creating these, these kind of images and stuff. And I think some people kind of, my mom is an artist. So I kind of have, I suppose those, <laughs> those good genes where something looks nice to me. And I think, Oh, that, that looks good together. But if you don't have that and you have something to say, just say it like put it on some yeah. plate like I said it could be as simplistic as possible you don't know yeah. who is going to see that how it's going to get shared and if it hits you know it hits someone just a simple message is it doesn't have to be fancy at all I like doing it but that's just me <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, I agree with that completely. And, and I would love to hear, you know, more people saying what, what is needed and, and that people can resonate with so that also so that people don't feel so alone. Sometimes, you know, that's what some of my posts are like, you know, you don't have to feel funny about, um, you know, doing this and that with, with your dog in terms of, you know, spoiling them, as people would say. And, you know, I think it can get so confusing out there when you see all this information um, put everywhere on not just social media, but, you know, in terms of websites and TikTok and things like that. There's just so much information and, and so much going on that you start getting confused and you start doubting yourself. And, and so, yeah, I just wanted to be there for people. Yeah, completely. I mean, I love showing, I actually took a video of it today. I love showing like the dogs literally doing nothing and me giving them food. <laughs> like the dogs yeah, yeah. and you know because that's I think a lot of us well not a lot of us I don't want to say that I think some of us think like you know those kind of stereotypical the dog should be on the couch or you know we should make dogs work for food or you know they're not on the bed like you said you know that kind of stuff like I mean, I have two big dogs and if they're, I've sat on the floor, like if they're on the couch and especially Nero, because, 
you know, he's, he's, he's nine now, but uh, I mean, I would do it anyway, but (laughs) I just, I want them to be comfortable. I love them. I care about them. Like, you know, if, if any dogs in the world, and I'm just saying, if any dogs were, were to be dominant from having all of these luxuries, quote unquote, of, you know, sleeping in beds and sleeping on couches and getting, you know, food for enough, my dogs would be the kings of domination. They would. (laughs) All of that all of the time. Um, And they're the sweetest dogs. Like they're just, Nero has such a a great temperament, equally Lycan, like, you know, Lycan is, he's a working line German Shepherd, so he has that, you know, that kind of craziness to him. But at the same time, he is so sweet. They're just the sweetest dogs in the world. And so uh, spoiling your dog literally for me has no effect on, on them of that kind of stuff. Um, so I just, yeah, Yeah, (laughs) like they would, you know, they should rule the world at this point, I think, because (laughs) we literally see, like we cook things specifically. I don't cook because I don't cook anything, but you know, my, my partner Scott will cook things for them. And we share a lot of, a lot of foods that we, we do have. So yeah, I think their, you know, world domination is probably next in their, in their sight. <laughs> well, we'll wait for that. I know. If only they had opposable thumbs. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. But I love, I love posting that kind of stuff because, you know, I just took the video. Um, I'm going to put it on my stories in a little bit, but um, Nero was, he was sleeping today's a rest day for them. So they don't really do too much today. And yeah. um, by yeah. choice. I don't, I don't force them into anything, <laughs> but um, he was sleeping and he was under the blankets because it's, it's particularly cold. I don't know if it's cold where you are, but it's freezing here. It is, it is freezing. Yeah, it's, it's particularly cold this past week, but he's under the blanket and he's sleeping and I had some leftover chicken and I thought, oh, Nero looks like he needs some chicken. So, I mean, what's better than being woken <laughs> up <laughs> with some, some really nice chicken? And he literally just was under the blanket and I just fed him a few pieces of chicken and he went back to sleep you know like that's that's how we roll in this house (laughs) yeah yeah exactly that's how actually my my partner who you know he has zero experience with dogs and he he didn't know he didn't have any dogs until um, we got Dave and he doesn't know much about dogs but his like idea was just that well I want I want Dave to love me, so here's a snack for him just lying there. And and so that's that's kind of his thing. So even when we go out on walks, he'll give Dave like two or three treats in a row, whereas I seem to be a bit more stingy in comparison. So so then I'm like up in my game as well. So so yeah, no, but it's things like that, you know, that that not expecting anything and, and giving them something and how that actually is really nice for the relationship because why why should they always have to do something to get something you know yeah no I, I completely agree I have to know because this this question just popped into my mind because um ha, like between your your partner and you are you um I think I'm a I'm a little bit of a control freak I have to admit this and <laughs> but how are you when he's when he's training the dog like how are you when he's he's training Dave are you do you sit back and just kind of watch or do you instruct or how do you how do you handle those situations 
so he doesn't really sort of train Dave in, in the sort of formal sense, right? Um, but he'll take him on, on walks in the evening. So I don't do the evening walks. I let them have the boys' night uh, out on the evening <laughs> walks together, looking at poo, whatever they do, you know, boys. Uh, <laughs> and um, so, 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 so I'm, I'm honestly fine. You know, at the beginning, I will admit that I was like, why do you hold the leash like that? Hold it like this, hold it like this, hold it like this. And he just wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it like I showed him how to hold the leash like 10,000 times and he wouldn't do it but you know what he never dropped he never really drops the leash so I'm just like okay forget it you know you want to hold the leash like a weirdo you hold it like that whatever and so and so over time it, it's more and more like that and so I just I just let them be plus Dave is such a nice dog he's not gonna like you know do anything that's gonna mess Dave up you know what I mean so yeah. and 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 even though he doesn't train Dave he's got that interesting sort of positive reinforcement mindset instinct just all on his own so you know if Dave is going after some sort of uh, food that's been on the floor and, and we kind of know where it is um, you know in the places that we walk so he knows how to redirect um, Dave and I've uh, taught him how to do that he he does it himself and so I'm really proud of that because then the next day I go and I test it out and I'm like oh it's worked you know <laughs> Dave's not going after that anymore and, and it's, it's like really, I'm a professional really nice. or something <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, Scott doesn't do a lot of training the dogs, but I started teaching, I start teaching like and tricks because um, mm -hmm. I think it's just really good for his, his, you know, kind of mental stimulation and stuff. And he loves, do, he has so much, if I had like an ounce of Lycan's enthusiasm, I would rule the world. I really would. I think I would be like, I would be unstoppable, but yeah. we, we started, I started teaching him different things. So I actually did put this on my stories the other, um, the other day of like him doing a, a meerkat. So him sitting kind of back up on his hind legs and his, yeah. his front legs coming up. Um, and it's something that we've been, we've been working on for a couple of weeks now, just building up his kind of um, his core strength to be, it's not something I tried with him before because I wanted him, he's about two and a half now. So I wanted him to, Kind of bulk up and develop a little bit more but yeah. um that was so <laughs> like scott will ask like him to do little little tricks for like tidbits of food and stuff when he has and um he yeah i do get a little i do get a little like no that's the wrong timing or um you know ask this then ask that so like with meerkat the other day i recorded them i think he had like and do it maybe maybe three times and i was I mean, kid you not, I was so excited because I played it back for him when I put it on the, I recorded it live on the stories. It was on the stories and I watched it back. And um, this is how sad I am. I watched it back and I was like, oh, Scott, I'm so excited. And he was like, what, what? Thinking, you know, what are you excited about? And I said, your timing on this is really well. <laughs> Watch your timing. And then he <laughs> we watched it together and my face was just like see see yeah that's good that's the perfect time I'm so happy for him like excellent Aww. excellent timing and um I love him because he just yeah he'll say things like what you know when we were teaching that initially I was just kind of shaping it um yeah. and he he said uh what cue are you going to assign to this and I just thought, oh I love that I that's cool I've never, you've never been more yeah. attractive in the whole entire world than when you said, what cue are you going to say? Um, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. 
but I can I know I can be a little bit and it's interesting because I'm not like that with my, with my clients but I think yeah. with him sometimes I'm like okay when you do that you need to do I go into a little bit of, of trainer mode but like a super uber trainer mode like you know yeah. don't you have to do this and none of this. So yeah, I think I have to follow your steps and just be like, it's fine. But Nero went from, <laughs> and again, it's not a big deal. Nero only knows like seven tricks, but I taught him a long time ago, um, like high fives with each. So like indicating like left high five and right high five and one high five and shake and stuff like that. And he had a double high five. Um, I know when Scott listens to this back, he's going to be like, what did you say about the double high five? Um, <laughs> but he's ruined. He's ruined Nero's double high five because Nero used to rock. Oh. He used to rock back on his on his hind legs to sit up, kind of, and then just present his his two front paws. Um, so he would do it that way. So over time, um, Scott has taught him to just kind of like jump up and flail his arms towards him. And he's like, yeah, it's double high five. So every time I don't ask for a double high five anymore um, because I'm just very disappointed and I'm not disappointed in Nero at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a really funny story. <laughs> we had this conversation oh. many times. I'm like, that's not how you do it. Like you ruined his high five. His double high five is not ruined. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's kind I, of a, I, I, <laughs> I'm quite proud of what uh, my partner has has done with Dave without me, you know, actively trying to do do anything with them or teach them what to do. So, so something that my partner taught Dave was how to untangle um, the leash himself. So let's say if we're on a long line or if you know my partner prefers using the front clip, sometimes if it's on the front clip, um, it can get tangled on the Dave's feet. So he actually um, managed to teach him how to automatically. Um, lift his leg to untangle himself so so that was something I was like oh wow that's amazing you did that and <laughs> and, and so I'm really proud of them for that okay. I don't want to discredit Scott Scott is amazing to the dogs like the whole concept of feeding the yeah. dogs while they're laying down on something that's a yeah. Scott original like he came up with that <laughs> he used yeah. to, he's yeah. a chef so he used to like bring home meats and stuff and he would just almost like um I don't know what the the art is but the maybe it's kind of like a more of a I don't know there is art I think where there's like a person laying on a chaise lounge and they're being like fed grapes that's kind of the yes, equivalent yes. <laughs> that's the equivalent kind of that's the idea of what we're doing here with the dogs we're just yeah. <laughs> there oh, well. you know I'm probably fanning them sometimes that's that's kind of what's going yeah. on in this household but that is his that is his original idea um to feed the dogs just kind yeah. of and to be honest like sometimes he'll give me some foods when I'm sitting down like the same way so it's I think it's just innate in him he really likes feeding feeding yeah. you know sedentary creatures yeah <laughs> but that's so sweet I think I really like that that he's taught him something which is useful and and also like on his own yeah. initiative yeah exactly and and through you know positive reinforcement exactly that's all we want <laughs> No, Scott is amazing. I don't want, he listens to all my podcasts, so I don't want him to feel like I'm never listening again. Um, <laughs> you're amazing. I appreciate you. The dogs love you. I love you. Everyone loves you. You're amazing. Um, <laughs> keep giving us food. 
we would not survive without you. Um, <laughs> right. So what is kind of, we'll move on here because I'm going to keep digging myself into a deep hole. Um, what is the one thing that you wish more dog guardians knew about their dog? Yeah, so I mean, one thing I wish people knew is that, you know, our dogs are really doing their best. They're, they're really trying to do their best as well to communicate with us. So, you know, how a lot of people say, I wish my dog can just talk and tell me what they're thinking. And the thing is that they often are talking, but instead of with words they're talking with their body. And once we learn how to read it, we can help our dogs feel more comfortable in whatever situations. Um, we can really understand when our dogs are having a good time, when they're not. And so with a lot of my new clients, body language is like the first thing we look at and, and go through, especially the subtle things that can be easily missed. Because I want people to be able to understand their dog, communicate with their dogs and, and, and really know what's going on. And um, I think that's such a crucial thing. And I wish that, you know, people had that information the moment they got their dog so that you know so many other issues can be prevented with that knowledge absolutely i teach um puppy classes and i have often been quoted as saying you know if you don't learn anything else from this six-week course um yeah but hopefully you do um but if you do not learn anything else from a six-week course i hope that you at least at least come away with a good understanding of body language because yeah. It is a, it's just, it's so important. It's so, so important. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the small, the big, the medium, all of the, the kind of issues that we have around, around keeping, caring for um, dogs, it stems from not, not being able to take that communication, not being able to see it, respond. Exactly. Um, because when you were talking before about advocating for your dog, if you don't know or you, you're not looking for the signs, um, then how do you know when to step in? The only time that you, yeah. you do is when it's more those kind of overt signs of, you know, growling or lunging or, you know, the kind of, I want to say the more problematic ones. That's when we actually, yeah. we do something. And for me, I find a lot of people, the response is, um, especially with growling, is is more of, um, I suppose, a, a feeling of disrespect, like, you know, the, the yeah. classic, like, don't yeah. you growl at me. And it's like, yeah. yes, growl at me, <laughs> like, tell me, yeah. because yeah. you'll miss that growl when that growl is gone. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that, yeah, absolutely. Body language is just... It's incredibly important. Yeah. And easy. It, it's a shame. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a shame that it, it doesn't get taught, you know, when you get a dog. It, it's it's one of those things. And, and you know, when I was talking about my, my time volunteering at the shelter, uh, when we guide adopters that's actually also one of the first things we 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 go through with them and we go through them quite basic things but just so that they can see when they're meeting the dog for the first time that they might display these signals and and what we're going to help them to do when the doctors do that so so it's things like that and, and i think it's so important and unfortunately so overlooked as well yeah no i completely agree i think just so many issues could be resolved quicker and um, more complete if we did have an understanding than if, you know, because a lot of times when 
um, we think about our dog's behavior, it is that that miscommunication where we're anthropomorphizing or we're you know trying to fill in the blanks, and it's like yeah. the dog is is telling you the dog has has said like you know, um, but no, I I completely I completely agree. Yeah, and also like I was saying, easy. Like I don't know about you, but. <laughs> Like when I look at, you know, clients dogs or when situations are out, I'm, I'm very easily just saying like, well, the dog's not comfortable. Like, let's do this. Or, you know, that dog is a, that's too much, or they're just about to react. Let's move. Um, and if they don't move within those few seconds, the dog does react. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we need to, and I think as, as professionals, especially when we're dealing with more serious behaviors is trying to educate our clients to look for those those signs. so much as breathing like breathing is something especially yeah. with um reactive dogs which i tried to get the clients to you know just look at your, if you look at nothing else look at your dog's like chest look to see how are they breathing has that gone elevated you know what were they doing right before um was the dog just running around or has the dog spotted something um you know are they trying to have they caught the scent of something you know even just looking at that one kind of key aspect sometimes gives us so much information it's really interesting because when i go through this body language um session or or part of my um, program with people um what they what they tell me as i'm going through it is oh i've seen my dog do that and yeah. oh, I've seen my dog do that as well. Oh, this one he does a lot. So you know, there, it's great that people actually are noticing. They just don't know what it means. So so when you give them that context, it becomes so much easier. When you give them that knowledge to 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 go and look for it, then they they can always see it. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And it's the kind of classic ones. I I tend to go over those as well, where I say. Um, I just had a puppy class and we were going over like signs and stuff and the tail. So like often the thing that you see is, or I hear a lot is he bit that person, but his tail was wagging the whole time. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yeah, that does happen. <laughs> um, but let's look at the big picture. Like <laughs> Half of yeah. the dog was attached to <laughs> attached to the human leg. And the other half was very kind of rigid with the, you know, very kind of stiff, but wagging tail. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the other thing is looking at the whole picture, what is going on exactly. with the dog, the dog's body yeah. and exterior to that. Yeah, that's why I always say as well. Yeah. yeah, it's such a, and when you, and I think when you can actually get people to, or, or educate them to look at the bigger picture and to look, even then they will say, you know, I, uh, he, he was doing this and then that happened. And then, you know, I looked and saw, oh, there was, you know, the neighbor that he doesn't like. And it's like, yes, like we are putting all those little, little bits together and realizing, yeah. you know, or the barking. And my classic one is, was barking at nothing. <laughs> and you're like, but there was something like what, you know, especially mm-hmm. with mailmen and stuff coming up, coming up drives or anything or hearing the car door slam or something. There's always something that the dog has initially responded to um, beforehand. But I mean, body language is just one. I think it's getting better. I think that it's, um, I'm definitely hearing, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely hearing from clients more, especially things like, um, whale eye and uh, lip flicking. I'm hearing that a bit more. Um, And I generally say like with um, 
like I generally say two categories, like a stiff body, not good. A loose body, we're looking at more positive behaviors. And yeah. I think people are starting to mention that as well, like the stillness. That's really good. I think there's probably more information coming out and it's more accessible, you know, whether that's through social media or, or, you know, books and things like that. I think that's all coming out a bit more now. It's really good that people have access to it um, and, and to be able to see that in their dogs as well. Yeah, I mean, that um, the Lily Chin, the, the I think yes. it's doggy, doggy language or doggy bodily yeah. language, that one, um, that was really, I mean, I bought it just because I thought, I really love her illustrations. I think they're really just, again, aesthetically pleasing and very, very cute. But um, I just wanted to see, you know, lots of people were saying how how good it was. And even as me, who I think I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good at body language, I just thought, let me just see what it is. And I I actually left, I read it, it probably took me about I'd say 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then I immediately left a review because I just thought that is it's going on my recommended list for clients, but that is yeah. the, it's just really nicely presented, really well illustrated, of course, um, and very clear. Like it's just a good, yeah. it's a good little nugget for people to have. Yeah, it's, it's really, really clear because sometimes when you look at drawings, you, you find it a little bit difficult to relate to the actual dog. But I thought with that one, you know, you can really tell um, what that means and, and how it looks like. So I, I really like that as well. Yeah, no, that one is good. I'm trying to think of the other. I think it's Silent Conversations has always been my kind of fallback. Oh, yeah. That is yeah. a very, very good resource as well. Yeah. Right. Um, so let us know where we can find you on social media. So you can find me on um, at, well, dog underscore at heart um, on Instagram. Uh, for Facebook, it's facebook.com slash dog at UK. Uh, just one word. So I also find myself often most active on my dog, Dave, which is Dave underscore the doggo, but the zero, but the O's at zero. So if you find that he's a really handsome boy, which he is, you can follow him there as well. <laughs> I like how you didn't give people an option. If you find he's handsome because he is, <laughs> yeah, he yes, is handsome. He is. <laughs> I mean, that's what kind of drew me to the page initially was seeing. I just love dogs. I mean, it's probably an occupation, occupational hazard, but um, I think was seeing just seeing his face because he has such a gorgeous face. Yeah. <laughs> and, and do you know what I'm gonna say I'm, I'm gonna say this is and, and it sounds really wild and maybe people won't believe me but there there was someone who followed me who was into the more sort of aversive training into using prong collars and stuff but was following Dave's account and was always commenting on how handsome he is so so they just kept following and then they crossed over to being positive reinforcement training people and I was like is that just Dave is so handsome <laughs> that this dog and you've been keeping him see no you're not keeping him secret but I think wow okay that's interesting that's really yeah you know they were they were like well no so so you know they at first they were kind of um you know looking at my post and then uh, you know copying it and then sort of 
criticizing it. So, so there were a few moments like that and, and I just left it. I never blocked them because like they, they weren't, you know, messaging me directly or being rude or anything um, really. So I just left them and then over some time they, they, they messaged me to say, oh, you know, I've, I've completely crossed over now. I'm using positive reinforcement and trying to learn more. Thank you so much for being part of my journey. I was like, oh, wow, that's wow. incredible. That's a really special story. That's really, that's really nice. I was actually, um, I, I do have a, uh, a podcast with um, a crossover trainer. And I think that that is an important, an important conversation. So maybe we can have, we can have that person maybe tell us about how, how Dave helped them. I think that would be a really interesting, we'll have to talk after the podcast about that. Yeah, yeah sure. Absolutely. Dave, Dave saves dogs indirectly. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> the power of Dave. Did you ever, um, cause some people have those kind of like DNA tests. Did you ever, or do you know, um, Dave's kind of breeding? Yeah. So, so I did do the embark DNA with him and yeah. it shows that, um, He's a hundred percent Southeast Asian village dog. So basically I paid like a hundred pounds to know that he's a mongrel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, but they say um, that he's got DNA in common with a uh, German shepherd um, boxer and uh, Jack Russell Terrier type dogs. So I, I think I can see, see definitely the, the German Shepherd part and the sort of Jack Russell type thing with him, you know, loving to dig. That's his new hobby. He's just discovered it. Uh, and, and so things <laughs> like that, um, I can kind of see. And, um, but yeah, yeah, that, that's the only information I've got. No real sort of what are all the percentages. It's just 100% Southeast Asian village dog. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think there was somebody, oh, who was, I think it was, um, I think it was Shadow the Aussie, and then they found out, um, I don't know if you follow them on Instagram, but yeah. they, they did a test, I think they did a test, and they, um, there was some confusion as to, like, the, the mom and the dad, um, and it turned out that he was an Aussie, or no, was he a border collie? No, I think he's border collie. So border he collie. went from yeah. yeah, he went from Aussie to bo to border collie, which to be honest, yeah. is very very similar looking in in most respects. But um, I thought that was that was kind of because you never really. I mean, I I was told we saw Nero's mom, um, but I was told that his dad was a whippet. So I've just always kind of gone on that he's border collie cross whippet, but. I mean, the amount of people, and it's interesting because I, I know that his mom is is the border collie part, but when people say, you know, like, what is he? Or, you know, is he um, a pharaoh hound? And I'm like, no, he's not a pharaoh hound. Um, <laughs> and I say like the border, they're never really, they don't really, I suppose, question the whippet part because of his, his body, but everybody mm -hmm. questions the border collie part. They're like, border collie, really? Oh, wow. Are you sure? I'm like, yeah. yeah. 100% sure on because we know mom but yeah they never <laughs> nobody ever believes the border collie part um but I'm That's like that that definitely so it'd be interesting I think to do a test with him to to see because apparently out of all the there are six puppies and I think out of all the puppies they said that Nero looked most like the dad um and okay. his coloring yeah his coloring is mom was black and white um and all of the siblings were different colors so yeah 
when Nero was a puppy, he was actually more of a sable and white. So he had those, and he still has, if you, um, if I look very closely at his coat, he has black hairs, um, which you would never guess based on, you know, his pictures and stuff, but he does have yeah. these very sporadic black hairs kind of through the, the bulk of his, his coat. Um, yeah. But he was said to look more like, more like the dad. Um, and he's now kind of more, but the, there was one that was, oh God, it was a beautiful, it was the only, I think one of the only girls. And she was, she looked very much like a border collie, but she was blue and white and she got snatched up immediately. Like they, I didn't even oh. see her on the rescue because yeah. I guess somebody just, yeah, was like, she's gorgeous. I'll take her immediately. This is very interesting. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I would yeah. kind of in, be interested to do one with him and, you know, he's nine now, so I don't know if it even matters, but. <laughs> hey, I did Dave's at nine. It's worth it. <laughs> No, but I mean, like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me anyway, but it just yeah. be interesting to, to yeah. see, like, if all these years, like, you know, I've been trying to, again, trying to convince people that he is part Border Collie, but that's the part we know, so. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really interesting to find out. Let us know. Yeah, I think it's good, the, the price that puts me off doing the DNA test, because I remember, yeah. uh, oh, God, this is going back, like, 15 years, I think, um, when I was in veterinary, they they actually had um, a really, I think it might have been, was it the wisdom panel? I can't remember. There was one that kind of came out first. I remember when the rep came to, to my practice and they were telling us about it. And I think all of us kind of like looked at each other like, yeah, right. This is crazy. Like dog DNA. You're going to be able to tell me what kind of dog it is. Um, and we had a chance to, to do it. Obviously, I didn't have Nero at that time, but we had yeah. a chance to do it. Um, and I just think, oh goodness, like I can't remember which one it which one it was, but it might have been. I don't know. It might have been the wisdom panel one. But like looking now, it's just so popular that <laughs> I feel silly for, you know, me and my colleagues at the time being like, <laughs> what do you mean you'll be able to tell what kind of dogs are in this mix? <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, no, it's really popular. Like mostly people with rescues are really curious to find out, yeah. I think. Yeah. No, yeah. I think I'm, I, I know a lot of people that have, have done them. There was one, isn't there one that's better than the other one? I think people kind of get mixed, mixed review. I know you can get them on eBay for like 35 pounds. Can you? Oh, wow. I think, so. I think I've seen them on eBay for, for very cheap, but you know, it's always that kind of quintessential, you get what you pay for. <laughs> Yeah, Your dog yeah. is a dog. Oh, wow. I paid 35 pounds to figure out that. <laughs> uh, right. So um, just to kind of round out, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but just to kind of round out um, our conversation, I wanted to ask you just some some fun questions, you know, don't think too much of them. Um, kind of just answer with the, the first thing that, that comes to your to your mind. Um, okay. right. Uh, so what do you buy way more than most other people? Oh, I probably, um, buy collars for dogs, uh, for, for Dave, essentially like accessories 
more than other people, even though it's kind of unnecessary and it's just like a thing that I like and I just like him looking like really fashionable from time to time. That's probably where my money goes sometimes, <laughs> apart from, you know, training equipment, but like, you know, every year I want him to have a new harness. It's, 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 it's nonsense. It's a me thing. <laughs> He has, doesn't he have the dog Copenhagen harness? Yep, that's his, that's the one um, from this, for this year. So, so, so from his birthday, <laughs> well, yeah, his adoption day uh, from last year to this year, then I'm going to buy another one. That <laughs> it's going to be like Oh, God, you know, oh, I actually had for Nero, um, oh, gosh, how long ago was it? Maybe about, maybe about two, three years ago. I have footage of him, footage. I have video of um photos I have photos and, and video of him in this harness but I ordered one on Etsy and I didn't realize it was from Australia so you have to pay like um what's it yeah import fees Shipping. yeah I ordered him a custom-made harness and it was beautiful fabric a really gorgeous fabric and it is a really it's a really nice harness. although I don't like the the fit of it um and I actually paid 60 pounds total for this mm -hmm. harness and I lost my mind because I was like wait how much do I have to pay for this oh, um and I'd already yeah I'd already ordered it so it's the most expensive harness known to man I, love, <laughs> I plan to get I plan to get a, a custom harness um this for this adoption day this year as well so we'll see what I go with I haven't really decided yet but we make go. sure it's it's from a decent like relatively close country do not order one yes <laughs> yes <laughs> I, i'll learn from that oh my goodness and i don't use the harness now anyway <laughs> it's not the right wow. it kind of was a little i know i know um it, it has a bit more it's kind of that like papilla harness where it's not that yeah. papilla harness but it's similar to that where it has a bit more fabric yeah. like cushy fabric um yeah. at the front and it does, I feel like, because he wears a, a perfect fit and the perfect fit does not, it, it doesn't, when he runs and he moves, it doesn't combat with that at all. Whereas this one kind of, That's obviously right. it's not, it's not firm, like it's not preventing him necessarily from moving, but there's just more fabric than I would like on it. Yeah, I get that. I get that. <laughs> Yeah, we haven't used it in forever. It's kind of I have two backup harnesses, so sometimes, uh, occasionally, I'll I'll use that one. But I totally get that. I totally get the <laughs> buying of accessories. Like my goal is to have one for every day. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! <laughs> but the collar too, because I've abandoned collars. I I have sometimes abandoned collars when I'm lazy. I I don't put it on because his his ID tags on on his harness. Right, actually, I've got I've got one on the harness and then I've got others on collars. So um, it's just a fashion thing sometimes. Just just with the collars and and some people ask me, how many collars do you need? And I'm like, uh, more. Just <laughs> <laughs> a fashion thing. I just imagine like at one point. Dave's like, you know, when people layer necklaces, like Dave's gonna have layered collars, like <laughs> oh my goodness, stuff on the street. <laughs> oh my goodness! But I mean, one of the things that I I did, and I, I probably haven't done this as much as I should, which um, some people might have seen, is that I used to let Dave choose what harness to wear for the day, 
and oh um, he goodness. put his head. I, I, I present him with two, and then he put his head in first. Um, I think I might have seen that. Now that you mention, it, I yeah, think I might that, have. I haven't done it in a while, but but yeah, I used to do that quite a lot. Maybe I should do do it some more. That's cute. <laughs> really nice. No, that's really. Yeah. I think that's really cute. I've gone through so many. I think like yeah collars were kind of and Nero used to wear um he used to wear martingale it was never used for for any like corrections or anything like that but it was more kind of like a, a house collar when I was doing house collars and I loved picking out like the the pattern for the collar oh, <laughs> it was yes. um, it was almost always skulls of some sort but <laughs> I loved it it was it was Lovely. fun Fashion. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> Um, is he like is Dave Nakey in the house? Does he wear anything in the house? Oh, he's Nakey in the house, actually. So, so that's why I get people like, "Do you really need that many?" And <laughs> <it's> like, yes. <laughs> no, totally. I get, I get it. Yeah. Um. Okay. Um. What is your favorite childhood cartoon, and why do you love it? Oh my goodness, that's such a difficult one. Um, whew, I probably really liked um, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Do you know what that is? Yes, of course. Yes, I think I think at the time I think I was quite scared, um, but then but then the more I think about it now, I think that was one that I really enjoyed because it made such an impact on me. You know, it's it's so scary, and and you can really relate to that dog just freaking out all the time. Um, whenever they own it, something really stupid, and it's like wow, uh, that, that was that was a really good one. And I think if I go back and watch it now, I don't know whether I'll still be like a bit scared. I think it was quite a traumatizing um, cartoon, but I did enjoy it, and I used to put it on um, quite often. <laughs> I don't think any, I often go back and watch, like, I think it happened with like Fraggle Rock and some other, what was another, there's a couple of cartoons that I went back and, and watched and I was, you know, I was just, oh, so nostalgic, like, so it's going to be so cool to watch it again. And then it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, this is really boring. Like, <laughs> I've moved yeah, on so yeah, much yeah. from I, this time period. <laughs> Exactly. I, I get that. I think I think there was some like I think some of the older SpongeBob. I tried watching that again and I got a little bit bored as well. But yeah. Oh see, I think I think I might be older than you, Rachel. Like I yeah, am I did you ha did you know about Fraggle Rock? <laughs> was that I just like... <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna admit that I don't, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Here I am like going into full. I think it was like an 80 is puppets. I I have a uh, weird thing about puppets. I really love puppets. They're just so cool. Like they're so interesting. Another that kind of like artist, like, you know, when they create the the really interesting puppets and yeah. um, the creations that they kind of come up with and the, oh, I just, I love puppets. They're so, and puppeteers, like it's a craft. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> quite fascinating how they get into doing all that. It's great. But Fraggle Rock was um, Jim Henson, so it's a Jim Henson, Jim Henson creation, um, and there were all these like Fraggles that lived underground. <laughs> I can't believe I'm explaining. <laughs> this podcast has taken a nosedive. No, um, <laughs> but they and they had these um, 
oh, the best part was like that. You have to look it up. You have to look it up. The trash heap was the best mm-hmm. part, I think. Like oh the all-knowing trash heap. And oh um, she had, I think, little like, I just love the, the thing that I really like is I have a thing for rats as well. I used to have a lot of um, pet rats and they have some rats in the, for the trash heap. And you have to, I'm not going to impersonate him, but he just has the, <laughs> the cutest little, like, like little New York accent rat. That's like, oh. <laughs> that's with the trash heap. You got to watch it. I got to, I got to, maybe I'll send you a link. After the yeah, yeah, send you. <laughs> yeah. That's something you I'm probably could. Yeah. <laughs> You'll hear the the rat's accent and just I hope you fall in love with it like I do. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Uh, okay. So Purge the Cowardly Dog, interesting. I, I don't know about you, but I always gravitated towards um shows that had dogs. Yeah, me too. I would say so, even though you know I didn't I didn't have dogs when I was a kid, but but definitely did and, and books as well, you know, like um, Spot, I think, was the name of, of one of those children's books. I really like things like that. Yeah. Now, anything that had a dog in it, like even like old black and white Lassies, I was, oh, if Lassie yeah. came on, I was like glued to the TV. I loved it. Yeah. Right. So what is the most thing, the most interesting thing that you have seen or read this week? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. Um, the most interesting thing that I've seen, does it have to be dog related? No, no, whatever. God, deviate okay. from dogs, please. <laughs> well, we, we watched this documentary called A Glitch in the Matrix, and it's about how our world might be just a simulation. And that was really interesting and, and did give me some weird dreams for a while. So, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> is that a polite way of saying it traumatized you <laughs> i don't fully traumatize me i mean it's just a documentary but you know it, it like sticks in your mind you think you know when you walk into a room and you forget what you're gonna do is it because my player canceled my action and and just things like that just suddenly popped up in my head and <laughs> so that was interesting <laughs> that's the most recent thing i can think of that we've done uh, it was just this this last weekend <laughs> Oh, wow. Is that, what is that on? What platform? Oh, gosh. I'm not quite sure now. I can't remember. Um, it, it's a documentary, and, and this guy makes um, quite a few interesting documentaries as well, a, a sort of theme. Um, what, I can't find where it was. I'll let you know. I can't find where it was right now. Hmm. I think it's on YouTube as well. You can actually buy it on YouTube. Oh, really? Hmm. I don't know. We watched recently the, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the series. It's, uh, oh, I think it's, I can't remember the name of the series. It's something to do with like death and um, the, so there were two episodes. This is on on Netflix, but um, it was talking about uh, like seances and um, uh, spirit guides and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, like, issues where people have had near-death experiences and what they've what they've experienced and that kind of stuff like really I did that sends me into a total tailspin of like wow I can't my brain just does not shut off with that kind of stuff so yeah I, I get into like dreaming 
quite a lot. So so things like that will appear in my dreams when I watch something new it'll appear and it, and then I wake up tired something. Or... Oh god. Yeah, I suggest you don't watch that one then because that one is really it's a head trip. It is really a head oh. trip. Oh dear. Yeah, it's it I uh, I can't even really describe it. It's just so it's intense because anything that kind of you know, and these are, I think for me, like one of the, the first episodes had a, um, a doctor talking about her, like her death experience. And, you know, she also then had a, an, a, a premonition, I suppose it would be like a premonition or whatever, when she, when she kind of passed away where she found out that something was going to happen to her son later on. And then something mm-hmm. did happen to her son. So whether that's like projection of her, you know, um, thought that it was going to happen and then it yeah. did happen or I don't know. It's just, oh yeah. So maybe, maybe, yeah, just best to avoid that one. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants dreams like that, I suppose. <laughs> right. So uh, the final one is a very lighthearted, sweet, sweet question. I'm not going to, okay. we're not going to go into near death experiences anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is your favorite ice cream, ice cream flavor? Oh man, I love um, you know Ben and Jerry's fish food. Oh really? That's, that's my favorite, um, and I think they've come up with vegan. I'm not really vegan, but we've done veganuary recently, and um, I've been into all the vegan snacks. So I think they're doing um, fish food, but vegan. So I can't wait to try what that's like. And uh, yeah, that's probably my favorite flavor. What is the vegan one? What is it made of? I don't know what the difference is. Obviously, they probably use either soy milk or, or oat milk. I've gotten into oat milk ice cream as well. That's really nice. Um, but yeah, that that I, I, I'm interested to try what, what that would be like. I'm not sure what they use for Ben and Jerry's. I know in like when, what was it? Um, Halo Top came. I was in America when I, because I used to go, you know, before COVID, I used to go back like every year. And halo top was something that i had had when i went when i went back and then always when i come back to the uk i'm always like they have so many amazing things in america we don't have anything and then we got halo top but there was we i think the variation is different like in america you have so many choices there's so many options Mm. and like especially in the uk we get like a fraction of those options (laughs) actually now that you're speaking of that I am wrong. My favorite ice cream flavor is actually black sesame from Japanese restaurants. Oh. So, so actually that's, that's more of my favorite flavor, but you can't really get that, um, you know, in the supermarket. Yeah. I love the green tea ice cream. That was something I really, we don't really see it that much here. Those are good as well. Yeah. There's a green tea Kit Kat that I had when I was in Thailand and I became yes. obsessed with it. I love that. That's good it's as well. So good. They've got so many flavors. Um, I, I When I went to Japan, I bought bought quite a lot of Kit Kat. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I actually, um, I became so obsessed with it that I found the, the green tea Kit Kat um, when I was in Thailand and because we were, we went to Phuket for five days at the end to just like rest and recuperate. And I was like, Phuket it, I'm on vacation. I'm going to have green tea ice cream, like in the morning. And I had green tea ice cream, Kit Kat ice cream in the morning. And then I had one in the afternoon. And by the evening I was very ill. 
I know, but I holidayed it way too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then surprisingly, because usually that's what happens is I get very fixated and obsessed with things and I, I want to mm-hmm. repeat them and repeat them. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I was like, oh, I don't want it anymore. And then I came home probably about six days later and I just thought, oh my God, I really want, I really want to do Dick Ass. <laughs> you can get them here, you know. Yeah, you actually know. a friend, yeah. um, it was my birthday a couple of years ago and this package arrived and it actually arrived from Japan. And I love yeah. Japan. I have a, a weird, like, like such an interesting, I want to go someday, you know, that kind of tampered this, this plans. Cause I really was looking, we were looking at going um, oh. this year actually. But I, I love it. I love the, I love a lot of things about the culture and things, but um, I got a package on my birthday and it was from Japan. I thought, oh my God, this, what is this? And it was, it was green tea Kit Kats, but it had no, none of my friends had messaged me. Um, I thought maybe Scott had got it for me as a surprise or another um, close friend of mine. I thought she had got it. Um, but no one messaged to say like, you know, did you enjoy your Kit Kats or anything like that? So I had to message people <laughs> and I was like, did you send me green tea Kit Kats from Japan? <laughs> and one of my friends actually, she was like, oh yes, I did. Did it come from Japan? I just, she bought it. I think I can't remember where she bought it, but I was like, no, it came from Japan. I actually saved the packaging. Like, <laughs> wow, that's really cool. I know it was really pretty. I just really liked it. <laughs> So yeah, my my green tea Kit Kat obsession has reached all of my all of my friends efficiently. So they send me them. Brilliant, love it. Yeah, no, they're they're so and it was the the fun size, which oh, tiny yeah. is not fun size, but you know we'll get into that later. But I was like, how many is acceptable to have? Like, can I? <laughs> I have to yeah. ration these. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, Rachel, it has been awesome having you. It's been <laughs> lovely talking to you about all kinds of things. It's great. I know, we've covered everything. Like, <laughs> the world. there's no stone left under it. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's been it's awesome lovely. having you. So thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about you and your history. And um, Dave, especially, like special guest star Dave. Yeah, thank you so much for, for, for getting me on and, and and wanting to learn about about us and, and, and what we do. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I think, you know, as many spotlights as we can give to to really, you know, people who are doing awesome things in the industry and getting your getting your message out there, but also, you know, highlighting you and and hopefully getting, you know, more people kind of following you and sharing your stuff because the more we get it out, the better. Yeah, I'd love for that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much guys for joining me here at the Dog Logical Podcast. I hope that you had a great time listening to this episode and learned a little bit along the way. Don't forget, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. Thanks again, guys, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.